Has there ever been a time in your life where you've experienced God as a threat? I want to welcome you to the God-Sized Living Podcast. We're kind of on a quest in this podcast to answer what, what I consider to be maybe the most important question that you'll answer in your life. And the question is, am I doing with my life right now what God created me to do? In our episode today, we're, we're going to kind of go in a little bit different direction, um, may, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, um, but, but a direction that I, I hope will really make you think a little bit. We're going to talk about the word threat, and we're going to associate it with, with God. Now, I, I know we typically don't do that, uh, but, but I, I want to go there today because I believe that our, our scripture takes us there today. We're we're studying the book of Daniel, and we're in chapter two. Uh, and today we're going we're to kind of raise up some questions. And, and the questions are very simply these. Uh, number one, I know it seems odd that that we use the word threat in connection with God, but is is there a time where God maybe threatens my way of life, where He threatens uh, something that I I want to do? Or, or he threatens something that I want to hold on to. Uh, I, I think threat maybe is the word. Secondly, the second question, I want you to kind of keep this in the back of your mind is, um, has there been a time for you where, and may, maybe it's right now, where where God is, is a threat to you? And then I really want to look at this. How do we respond when we do kind of experience God in this, this kind of odd threat-like way? Let me tell you what got me thinking a little bit about this. I was doing some reading in a magazine that I love to read. The magazine is called Wired. If you've never read it, let me just encourage you. Pick up a copy sometime. Wired uh, is kind of a technology science uh, magazine. Give yourself a couple of hours to read it because this is one that doesn't have a lot of pictures. It's got a lot of articles. And came across this article um, written by a guy named um, Daniel... Uh, Glazer, and so a psychologist, he was talking about our human minds, and he used this phrase. This is, this is kind of what got me thinking about this. He said, if you think about the way our minds are wired up, our, our brains are, let's call them 24-hour-a-day threat assessors. We're always trying to assess threats. Now, as human beings, we do this in kind of an interesting way. There's two parts of our brain that engage. The first part, of course, is our limbic system, uh, our amygdala. So if, I, if I'm walking down a hallway and I, I get to the, the doorway and I'm getting ready to go out and my head is at the height of the doorway, my eyes will catch that and maybe even last minute, I'll do what? I'll duck down. Why? My limbic system engages. Uh, if you swing your fist at me, I don't have to think. My limbic system kicks in and I do what? I duck out of the way of your fist. So our, our minds are hardwired to just constantly being um, on guard for things that might affect us. Um, as human beings, we have another part to our brains, our neocortex though that adds another dimension, a dimension that is not present amongst animals. We're thinking beings. It's the way that God's created us. And so not only do our, our minds 
think about threats that are immediately in front of us, but we're constantly asking the question, is there something out there that could hurt me physically? Um, is there something out there that could hurt me fiscally? You know, my, my, my fiscal well-being. Is there something out there that could hurt me relationally? We're, we're constantly thinking about this. So it got me just thinking about, well, if all that's true, what, what about spiritually? Are, are we ever really trying to assess threats spiritually? And what about God? Do we ever experience him as a threat? Now, normally that, that's not the way we talk about God. We use very positive words when we talk about God. We will say things like, well, you know what? No, God, God is love. God is mercy. God is forgiveness. God is gentle. God is caring. I mean, we carry around with us a picture on the wall of our mind, and it's Jesus, and he's holding the little sheep in his hands, and we say, that, that's who God is. But I want you to stop and think about this with me. As you read the Bible, both old and and New Testaments, will you at least agree with me that sometimes Jesus shows up, God shows up in a different way. Sometimes his word to human beings is the word woe, W-O-E, as in stop, stop what you're doing because it's going to destroy you. And and typically, when God uses this word, woe, the, the person receiving it receives it as what? Like a, a comfortable, happy, uh, touchy-feely word? No. Woe means what? Well, hey, this is like a threat to me. Absolutely, God intends it to be exactly that. So, sometimes the same Jesus that, that holds the sheep in his arms is the Jesus flipping tables over in the temple. Why? Because he's trying to say something to the church. This isn't this is not what my father made the church to be. My father did not make the church to be a place where we we try to sell forgiveness. That's not it. God made the church to be a place where we come and we receive without money, without anything that we do, the, the grace of the cross. And if you're going to stand in the way of that, guess what? Woe to you. He's flipping tables over. And so sometimes I wonder, how do we receive those words? Um, there's a professor of psychology at Dickinson uh, College, um, Marie Larson is her name, that uh, wrote a neat article for the New York Times a, a while back where She's describing some of what our minds, our thinking minds are doing when we, when we receive threats of any kind. Uh, and sometimes she says what, what happens to us as human beings is instead of responding in a way that's, that's going to be helpful, we respond in ways that are not helpful whatsoever, uh, but actually harmful to us. And she gives some examples of this, sometimes uh, something called optimistic bias kind of kicks in. In other words, I, I know there's a threat, but I'm overly optimistic that I can handle that threat. Or sometimes uh, we become overly confident in our ability uh, to handle a threat. So a person says, hey, bacon, man, I love bacon. Yeah, I know bacon has a lot of cholesterol and it's going to raise some of the bad stuff in my blood. But you know what? That is, I'm going to be okay. 
I'm, I'm going to be all right. And we're, we're overly confident or overly optimistic that we're able to control uh, the threats in front of us. And I wonder if that's not where we meet Nebuchadnezzar uh, in our story today. Let's kind of go back and remember uh, where we are in Daniel's story. This is chapter two. Remember what's happened is God has come and has sent a dream. Uh, we've called it a nightmare to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, remember what the nightmare looked like to him. He's dreaming and all of a sudden in front of him is this gigantic statue and it's got a head of gold and, and arms, a torso of silver. And then it's, it's kind of got bronze thighs and then underneath that legs of iron and then feet that are kind of a, a mixture of iron and clay. And no, no one in his kingdom, none of his advisors are able to interpret the dream. Well, God raises what? Raises Daniel up. And Daniel says, I, I can do it. I'll interpret this dream. And by the way, Nebuchadnezzar, this dream is not, it is not good news for you. You talk about a threat. Remember, remember what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar? He starts off, he says, guess what? That, that head of gold, that's you. Top, top, of the, top of the statue. But underneath you, the, the silver arms, the silver torso represent a kingdom that will rise up and will overthrow you. You're going to lose your head. You're going to lose your throne, Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, historically, we know that uh, that that nation that would rise up would rise up under the tutelage of Cyrus and would topple uh, the kingdom of Babylonia and Nebuchadnezzar is taking that in. Of course, the dream goes on. This is going to happen in succession. Uh, Persia will overcome you, but guess what? Persia itself will be overcome by the, the bronze level, the, the Greek uh, civilization. Alexander the Great will rise up and will overcome uh, Persia. And then in turn, Rome will rise up and overthrow Alexander the Great and, and the, the Greece that he's built. And, and so what what is being shown to Nebuchadnezzar, he's receiving as what? Not good news. He's not saying, man, Daniel, thank you. That's the most awesome dream I've ever had. He's what? He's, he's got this thing going on in his head. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. Now think about who he is. He's the most powerful man on earth. Is it possible that Marie Larson is right. He's overly confident. I'm going to read, um, we're just going to read a couple of verses uh, today. I'm reading out of Daniel uh, chapter 2, uh, and I, I'm going to take us to verse uh, 46. And let's look at a couple of verses that represent Nebuchadnezzar's response to what Daniel has interpreted for him. Let's go. Verse 46 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. 
Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are Daniel's Judean companions, over all the affairs of the province of Babylon, and Daniel remained in the king's court. So I want to make two observations here. Uh, observation number one, you know, when you, you watch Nebuchadnezzar respond to this, this threat, this dream, at first, it seems like his response is, is a right one, is a good one. I mean, his first movement is what? One of falling down before Daniel and paying homage to him. But I, but I want you to notice something. He falls down before Daniel and pays homage to him. Not God, but to, to Daniel. Now, is he afraid of Daniel's God? Well, a little bit. Notice the words that he uses. Daniel, your God is, is God of gods and king of the lords and, and the one who's able to reveal great mysteries. Now, he has great respect for Daniel's God, but he never names God as the God. He, he never acknowledges God to be the God. Now, for insurance sake, he takes a step and he actually does something that I would call politically smart. He gives to Daniel a, a political position. I'm going to put you over all of the counselors in my court. And he gives to Daniel's companions uh, political offices within Babylon. He actually makes them prefects over regions in Babylon. And what is he, what is he doing here? Well, observation number one is he on the on that surface, it looks like his response is good. But when you study it, here's observation number two. What is he trying to do? He's trying to remain in control of the situation. In other words, he's saying to himself, yeah, God gave me this. Daniel's God gave me this dream. It looks bad. Like there's some country that's going to try to raise up and overthrow me. But you know what? I'm a smart ruler. And if I stay smart, maybe, maybe I can make this dream thing go away. Maybe I can overcome it. And, and I think that it really brings us back to these questions that we started with today. Uh, does it seem odd to us that we use the word threat with God? What well, does seem odd till we really stop and think about it? Uh, we've developed a way of life. And, and our old man, our, my, my person, I like the way my life is going. I have, a, I have a direction that I want to take it. I have goals that I've set. But what if they're not in line with God's goals? Are there times that God comes to us and says, hey, I want you to stop. I want you to put something down. Well, we don't want to put it down. Or, hey, I, I want you to, to surrender something. You know, I've had this conversation 10,000 times with people. What does it mean to tithe? Now, I'm just using this in, as, as an example. But all of a sudden, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of happy with, with my life. And I, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus, but you want what? 10% of my money. Look, that's a threat. That's a threat. What are you going to do with that threat? Because it, it, it is one. And what I'm asking you to do uh, here this week is to really stop and think about, are there places right now where the spirit of God is coming to you and, and tapping you maybe on the shoulder? And he is asking you to put something down. Or to make a change in your life. Uh, maybe he's calling you to, to surrender. And here's what I know is our, our thinking minds, our human being wants to, to try to, to take in what God is saying and we want to stay in control of it. 
But I believe that when we stay in control, when we try to stay in control of God, we shrink God down to just this little midget God. And our lives become little. Because we we can't control what God is doing. And, and what I believe that this scripture is inviting us to do is to let go of that control and to say, God, I want to let you be God in, in my life. And we do that, of course, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's my challenge to you this week is that this week you would just identify one single thing that maybe God would say to you. Here's something that I want you to let go of your control over. Just identify one thing and spend the week just saying, God, would you help me let go of my control? God does not want to be a threat to you. He wants to be a promise to you, a promise of a life and life lived out under his abundance. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, I hope this podcast is, is helpful to you. If it is, let me encourage you to share it with, with someone else. We're going to pick up next week. We'll uh, continue uh, now into chapter three of Daniel and look at how this story encourages us to live God-sized lives.